Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. My name is Mamadou Balde, and I'm your host. This podcast has two objectives. To provide a platform for minority professionals to share their inspiring stories and to inspire minority students to believe that their options are unlimited and that they can be whoever they desire to be. I hope this podcast ignites that fire inside of you and pushes you to strive to be the best you. On this podcast, I will be bringing minority guests from a variety of professions, engineering, medicine, entrepreneurship, law, business, etc. Who will be sharing their journey to where they are today with you. I hope that these stories will inspire you to believe that whatever your goal or your dream is, you can do it too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have another amazing guest uh, coming to the podcast. Her name is Arushi. She's an old friend of mine. We met in 2015 when I just started at UT as an undergrad. And we did the uh, introduction to college come together. And uh, since then, we've been uh, tight whenever we see each other. Uh, she, she's been an amazing leader through UT. And uh, currently, she's doing her medical. She's just started medical school at UT Southwestern in Dallas. So she's definitely uh, gearing up to do some amazing things out there. In this episode, we talk about uh, her childhood, uh, her story, and how she got to where she is, and some of the things that she learned. It's definitely a, a great podcast and a great conversation that we had catching up. Before we jump into it, uh, again, for the people who do not know me, my name is Mamadou Balde. I am uh, currently uh, an engineer uh, with ExxonMobil, and uh, I started the You Can Do It Too podcast to sh- showcase um, minority people doing excellent things in the professional worlds. Uh, be- beside the work that they're doing, they're also taking up other things uh, to help add value to society. And my overall goal is to use these stories to really help inspire some of the younger people out there to believe that no matter the circumstances, they can be whoever they want to. They can do it too. Beside that, I'm one of the co-founders for Women's Relief Initiative, a non-profit organization providing menstrual products to women in underserved communities uh, around the world. I also recently launched uh, Unity Heals. Actually, it just uh, ha- has its non-profit status, so we are finally a non-profit charity organization. And the goal of Unity Heals, the mission is to improve healthcare in the most impoverished, uh, underserved communities around the world, starting with Guinea, uh, where I came from. And right now, our fundraiser for a documentary about the healthcare issues in Guinea is still ongoing. Uh, we're definitely looking for the help of people out there. The reason that we have unity in our name is because we really believe that in unity, uh, no, there is no mountain that cannot be uh, climbed. There is no challenges that cannot be overcome. So we definitely uh, need your help. If you are interested in donating, uh, p- please use the link through the show note to donate anything you can. 
but you do not have to donate. You can also share uh, our information with your audience out there and really help us reach our goal uh, to make this documentary. This documentary is a strategic step toward our uh, first project, which is to build a healthcare clinic in Conakry, Guinea. The, mo the, the documentary will be put in festivals, film festivals out there, and also really help uh, gather some funding for that building uh, in the future. So that definitely gonna help. Man, uh, what else? Uh, so I'm definitely enjoying this podcast. This is something that I, I, I wanna do uh, consistently. I know things get busy and and uh, other other things come up, but this is definitely something I really enjoy doing. It takes a lot of time uh, to do this. Uh, the editing part, the getting the people part, but this is something that I feel like necessary, and I will do my best to keep this in my schedule no matter how busy it gets. And uh, this is also a great excuse for me to meet amazing people who are doing amazing things out there, and uh, and to catch up uh, over over long hours. I'm a very no no matter how busy I am, I, I am a very social person. I like to have conversation, meaningful conversations with people, and uh, also learn from people. I feel like no matter what you know, you can always learn more. And uh, listening to people, talking to people, that's the best way to do so. Uh, without further ado, let's get into this podcast. Tune in. Again, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate you. I know you are crazy busy with everything that's happening right now in your life. But yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Definitely. So let's start with how, how is it going uh, with, with everything, all the crazy things that's happening in the world? How is it going? Um, it's going well. I I feel like I definitely live in a little bit of a bubble like in med school. Mm -hmm. So I would say other things in the world don't necessarily affect me mm -hmm. as much. Just like right now, it just feels like you're only surrounded by people at school. You're always at school <laughs> thinking about school. So my life is kind of limited to just that. But mm -hmm. you caught me at a better time. Like I feel like if you asked me this like a month ago, I would have been a little bit more stressed out. Um, but I think like now we're just all kind of getting used to the pace of school. So it's a little bit more, you're able to breathe in between. Um, <laughs> but before that, it was definitely a process to get here. That's amazing. So you already adapted already the first semester. That's good. I think at least at Southwestern, they like everyone has told us that the first semester is the hardest. Like apparently they front load a lot of classes because the first semester has like no effect on your um, grade moving forward versus like the second semester, the your grade matters a little bit. So I think mm -hmm. like they give you the hardest stuff first. So even if you don't do that well, it doesn't matter. Um, which was hard at first when you're going through it. But now that you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, it makes sense that they did that. And I'm glad that like, you know, all of that hard stuff is out of the way now. Um, yeah. yeah, I've heard I've heard many schools now is trying to remove the great part, at least in the beginning, to get people just have like some kind of community, which is which makes sense because medicine is about teamwork. Uh, and nobody should try to be like, I mean, everybody going to compete and be the best, but nobody should try to get any of the other ones out. Yeah, exactly. So all our classes are definitely pass fail, um, which is nice. 
And yeah, I think we definitely have a community here, which has been really helpful and like supportive. That's amazing. That's amazing. So have you, have you cried yet? <laughs> yes. Um, maybe like the first day of school. It's normal. Um, yeah, definitely like in the first few weeks, I, I feel like we had like a test almost like every week, like starting mm-hmm. from like week two of school, we had like tests really often. Um, mm-hmm. And I was definitely very surprised at my grades because it felt like I was studying more than I ever have before even like more than I studied for the MCAT but like my grades were so bad like it was barely passing and it was just like it's hard to accept that when you know in undergrad and like high school you're used to like just doing well and it's just normal and like it's what you expect from yourself and um so definitely had to adjust the bar on what's considered doing well and I had to like remind myself okay just passing is still is still good um that's amazing that's amazing it's crazy how whenever you get up in your level there's always a bar that you realize it's like you feel like I cannot study better than this but then they give you a higher bar and then you figure out oh I haven't reached my limit yet yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like week one of studying, I was like, okay, wow, this is so much studying. And then it just kept going up every week. And I was like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. But here we are, we survived. And it was definitely valuable in like pushing you to figure out what your max capacity is. I mean, not that we've hit it yet, but you know, just exploring that range. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I remember when we met, uh, specifically it was during Camp Texas, we were all freshmen coming in at UT Austin. And uh, we were all, I think we were put in the same family in that camp. Uh, It was a three day camp and we got, each of us were very excited to come to UT and we got to meet some people uh, in before school started, which definitely helped us adapt. Yeah, no, I I remember that for sure. And I think that's where I made like my first two closest friends that I'm actually still really close to. Um, So that was really nice to have that head start before school. Definitely. I definitely remember you were pretty quiet uh, in the family, but we all got to know each other pretty well in the family. And I think even though we, we may not all became like I mean, some of you guys became very good best friends, but even though we may not become very best friends, like see each other every day, every time we see each other around school for the next four years, we said hi, we talked. It was like we saw each other again. We know each other well. Yeah, that was like a nice feeling to just run into people that you knew from back then and just see a familiar face. Um, Yeah, it was definitely really nice. Definitely. So COVID-19 has been the biggest, uh, the, the craziest thing. I mean, this past year, 2020 has been the craziest year in all of our life, especially for us. We never seen something like this. I don't think anyone in this world have seen something like this, like where the whole world face a common enemy and every corner of the world felt, felt its, uh, <laughs> its harness. It's just so crazy. And one thing that COVID-19 pushed us to to do is to really slow down a little bit and really figure out what really mattered to us. Many people uh, sat down and really figure out what what they care about. And many people have changed what they do to make sure that whatever they're doing is something related to what they care about. 
for you, what did you learn about yourself uh, during this time, this crazy, crazy year? Um, I think it definitely, definitely allowed a lot of time to introspect, right? But um, helps me figure out some new hobbies. And um, I think just helped me realize I'm more capable than I used to think. So I think like something I didn't like before is that I always felt like I had to be with other people. Like, I, I guess I didn't like being alone because in my mind, being alone was the same as being lonely. And so I didn't like to do things alone because it reminded me, it made me feel like I didn't have friends to do things with. Like that was just like the automatic connection my mind would make. And I think, especially with COVID, I mean, we all were alone for like a long period of time and it was becoming more okay with that and finding the little things that still made me happy, like finding the things that I could do to bring happiness to myself instead of relying on just socializing to bring that happiness to me. So I realized I really like being outside and taking walks. So especially like I lived in Austin mostly for that year. Um, and I discovered so many random trails near my apartment, just random hiking trails around Austin. Like I drove like an hour by myself just to go on a trail for another hour. And I, you know, like I spent like the whole day by myself, things like that. Um, that I think I would have just never taken the initiative to do so if I, if it wasn't necessary, you know, like just because I just realized like, just because I don't have people to do it with doesn't mean I'm just gonna sit here at home because that was pretty terrible um so just give me that independence that I think was really valuable um that's amazing no you you're completely right and I feel like I mean society right always tell us it's not good I mean it's not good to be alone but I feel like being alone doesn't mean that you are lonely right but society always I feel like naturally we are social human beings and we tend to want to be in as a whole right but you're right, COVID-19 definitely uh, made many of us look in the mirror and really identify what we really care about. And uh, and it kind of made us be in our mind a little bit. I mean, it's not always good to be in your mind because you start to yeah. uh, <laughs> think that's wrong. But I think it's definitely important for people to to sometimes look in the mirror a bit and try to figure out things that can help them improve as a human being. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of, uh, I mean, yes, yes, it, it taught us that, but it also was very hard. Right? I mean, I, I remember in 2019, I mean, end of 2019, so many people had a lot of posts on Instagram talking about like, this is going to be the best decades of our life. Mm -hmm. And COVID-19 hitting around March. I mean, before that, Kobe Bryant died and so many things happened 2020. And many people, I mean, it's definitely one of the worst years of our life. But one thing that I always, the way I look at it is, before you get to this big mountain, right? You have to be able to have the strength to go through the journey to get up there. And I feel like 2020 is it, very hard. It's not something that we wanna get into, but it really has pushed us. It has made our skin thicker to really be able to go and become better beings and have the best decade of our life. So even though it's, it's a very bad year, we don't want to go yeah. through it. For some people, it may have been necessary for them to change their life. Right? Oh, I agree, definitely. 
how did you so with all the depressions all the depressing news out there like how did you manage to keep your mind healthy and just not get lost uh in in the depressive mood and stuff like that um i think a lot well i definitely became a lot more aware of social issues i guess like i think that was definitely a huge awakening for a lot of people um and especially for like you know a lot of us who considered ourselves already kind of liberal or like aware already it was still like wait no you're definitely not like you still don't know um enough about like the depth of these issues so that was a little depressing because I don't know when you just realize that for the first time of like how terrible these issues and are deep-rooted in society it's it was pretty depressing um but I think I would definitely just leave social media occasionally for like a couple days, just like stop checking to get out of it, but also just focusing on what I personally can do to help in my own way, I guess, um, was nice. So for me personally, it was just like talking more to people in my friend circle and like if they didn't exactly see why things were an issue, just like having conversations with them of here's actually why it's more of a problem than you think it is. Um, and so that made me just feel like, okay, in a very small way, this is like something I can do. Um, and so focusing on that instead of just what the problem was, was definitely helpful and not getting too depressed. Um, I mean, but there were definitely days where I was just like very frustrated with the world and how things are. And I think that's normal. I think also just giving yourself space to feel that and not trying to always overcome it and be like no you always have to be positive is also part of it like I I started journaling also during COVID um and just being more aware of my thoughts and sometimes I realized I had a tendency to just like spiral if I Mm -hmm. didn't catch my thought process early enough um and so I definitely started to try to be more aware of my thoughts in general and catch it before I spiral down too far but there were still days where I was like I don't want to do anything like I'm just gonna be a potato and that's okay too so not holding myself to like unrealistic standards that you have to always be on top of it Um, that is so important that is so important I feel like you touched on so many amazing points there Uh, the first one is just getting on a journey of growth and and, and uh, whenever you get off of it for a bit you feel like you are a failure right many of us we come we, we get these ideas about things that we can do to improve our lives and we get on this journey but it's a hard journey right and i feel like when we get away from that journey for one day we feel like it's a failure and we tend to just say oh i can't do it anymore i'm gonna let it go i failed but yeah. nobody's telling you it's going to be perfect. As you said, sometimes mm-hmm. it's definitely okay to have some bad days and feel bad, but try to get back up quickly and get back on your journey. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I think the other, the other thing that you talked about was uh, about your friend circle. I think naturally we are all pushed toward having friends that share the same ideas. But one thing that we really all learned during this time is like, we learn by other people's idea. What you already know, you know that. It's definitely better to go and have, push to have those difficult conversations basically and, yeah. and just get other people's point of view. 
is better not just for the world but also for us right the more ideas you have the more solution you can have yeah definitely especially when if you feel strongly about an issue it's hard to try to see the other side um and i think the only thing that made it possible was just not being as personally invested right just i feel like it's just easier when the issues are not about you to start there and start to see other people's point of view from there and then moving more towards issues that you know directly affect you because obviously that's hard to start with Man. Um, yeah that's an amazing point well i know we came in hot let's let's dial down a little bit and go back to your childhood where were you born by the way where, where did you where did you grow up so i was born in india as to where i grew up that's rough because I grew up both in the U.S. and in India in different phases. So I was born in India. I moved to a small town in Tennessee when I was six. And then I moved back to India when I was 10. Um, and then I moved to Dallas, Texas when I was 16. And then moved to Austin at 18 for college. So most of the transitions from India to the U.S. and back was just because of my dad's job. Like just whenever it changed, we kind of moved with him. And that was rough because I really liked being here for elementary school from like ages six to 10. And so that transition back at 10 years old was one of the hardest transitions. Um, but looking back on it, it was definitely, I'm really glad to have had that because I think it reminded me of my roots, just having more appreciation for being Indian and not not being ashamed of it because definitely living in a small town in Tennessee for a while made me a little whitewashed and want to be American uh, and just not want to be who I actually was and so going back to India was like I hated it I was so mad at my parents for doing that um, but it also just gave me a greater appreciation and for like the things I have now you know it's like yeah. I see like what life would have been like if I chose to be a doctor in India like that training would have been so different and so even though school is hard right now it's like but it could have been a lot worse like it could have been yeah. way different um so wow. definitely having that appreciation I think sometimes when people have only lived in one place it's easy to like lose sight of how good things you actually have you know and just see only the flaws and so definitely, I don't think like things are perfect here, but at least education is definitely better. And that's something I think I grew to appreciate too. That's amazing. And you definitely get that sense of maturity. The fact that you know, uh, you, you know, different corners of the world, you see the experience, you know how other people will not get the opportunities that you have. You get more grateful to what, what you have and make sure that whatever opportunity you get, you'll explore it to your full potential. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. So how many siblings do you have? I'm actually an only child, so. Wow, so it was just you. Just, <laughs> They're like, we're going back to India, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was, what, do you remember, do you remember living there? Oh yeah, I definitely, I remember everything. Um, what I part of like India? Mumbai. Mumbai okay uh, so the city right that's the city yeah it's it's a very big city um I think it's very similar to New York City in terms of atmosphere People, like yeah. it's grimy it's noisy it's always loud it's always alive mm -hmm. so it's very similar in that um regard 
That's amazing. You were talking about your experience. What was your experience living in India with your friend? How, like, how did you, I think it, it's definitely a good opportunity for you to learn about the culture there while you are there. Like, how did, what were some of the things that you learned that you didn't know growing up when you were younger? So I don't think a lot of it was things that you learn, but it's just being immersed in it is a different experience, right? So you can learn about festivals or you can live in them and experience them firsthand. So things like that. So I, when I moved to the U.S. when I was six, I actually forgot um, all the Indian languages. Like I only knew English, but before then, I think I knew three Indian languages before I moved. And then when I moved here, I forgot all three of them. And so um, just things like that. So when I moved back in fifth grade, I had to learn, relearn one of them and then learn a new one. Because in India, there's like a bunch of different regional languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hindi is one of the most common languages spoken mostly throughout the country. So I had to relearn Hindi, but also um, the regional language that was common in the city of Mumbai and like that state. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really big challenge. Um, but and then besides that, just being immersed with. So my extended family lives there, like my entire mom's side of the family lives in Mumbai. So just seeing my cousins again, um, you know, all the big festivals there is like a huge part of the culture, all the food, like everything is just so different. Um, like yeah. there, like you have like street markets and street vendors right for food. And that's just like a really casual part of daily living that you take for granted when you live there, but it just doesn't exist here in the U.S. Like it's so different. So that's not something I'd say I learned. Right. But it's just like an experience that was really nice to have. Um, I was also really shy. Like you mentioned when we met in freshman year, I was really shy. Yes, I was. I was even more shy, like growing up. And so when I first moved to India, like I still had my American accent. And so, oh my gosh, I was teased for that for sure. Even like my cousins, like it was good hearted. It wasn't necessarily bad, but I was shy. So it just made me even more, I don't know, just like, oh, I don't. Reserved, yeah. Reserved, uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to talk to you if you're just going to make fun of my accent. Um, and so it was hard to make friends. And so I think that was just that process of deciding to open up, trying to find the commonalities with me and like these other kids in my class um, was a journey. And um, yeah, it was really helpful though in becoming a little less shy just because I was pushed out of my comfort zone. And so I had to be um, in order to like not feel lonely and to make friends. Wow, that's amazing. That's that's amazing. So coming back, I, I know like, Definitely uh, exposure to cultures and uh, cultural relativism, I think that's how you call it, is important Mm -hmm. in your growth, especially as a physician, right? The more Mm -hmm. more cultures you know, the more you can be able to provide the best care for your patient and make sure that whatever care you are giving is unique to that specific patient, which is very, very important. But uh, how, how did you balance or how did your parents balance uh, introducing you to that culture and, and you wanting, I mean, you lived in America in your uh, older years, but making sure that you know where you came from, but also you you learn how to be uh, the individualistic kind of culture here in the United States to kind of, you, you're going to go and chase and reach your dreams, no matter how big they are. Um, 
Um, I think that was just something I kind of had to discover through high school and college here because I did two years of high school in Plano near Dallas and then I just started college at UT and I think just because I think like coming back here like the second time I just had a greater appreciation for Indian culture so in general I wasn't as swayed immediately by American ideals or American culture um I think it was more in college definitely where I, I guess I had a pretty diverse group of friends. Like I didn't want to surround myself only with other Indian people, um, but I had a diverse group of friends. And I think just the classes I took like helped me see the pros and cons of, you know, American culture too. And so then I was able to decide what parts I liked and wanted to adapt into my own belief system and what parts I didn't. And the same for like Indian culture too, like, um, I was able to compare like the belief systems um, and just decided what parts are a little outdated and what parts I do want to keep. Um, and so I definitely attribute that a lot to the classes I took and the people I surrounded myself with, the fact that they weren't all homogenous. So even though I was a science major, I was a neuroscience major, I took a lot of liberal arts classes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was a really enriching <laughs> Yeah. Always, definitely. One thing also is uh, many friends, I have uh, many friends who are from India, and one thing that I always talk about is the traditional culture, right? Uh, in terms of the traditional culture, many times uh, the women, w- ladies are told to dim their light because they are not, they want them to hurry up and get married, which is something that is not just in India, but in many underdeveloped countries, which I really believe is the reason many countries are underdeveloped because they are not exploiting the full potential of the women uh, in, in their countries. So did you see, growing up, did you sense any of that? And if so, how did you kind of remove that out of your way and, and, and pushed? I think I was lucky that I didn't actually experience a lot of that mostly because of my mom she herself is very um, independent she worked as a journalist um, you know in like crime journalism and political journalism so she was like very she was very career driven herself and in fact she was the one who faced that pushback from her parents where my grandparents didn't necessarily want her to be working and they wanted her to get married Um, And she kind of pushed back against that. And so because of that, I think she paved the way to make it easier for me. And so by the time I came around, my grandparents didn't have the same like beliefs anymore. They were a little bit more like open. And I think I was also lucky because growing up, I was doing well in school. My mom just like instilled that habit of doing well. And so because of that, I think even my extended family, like they all expected me to do something with that. Like they they expected me to um, have a career because they're like, you're, you know, they could just see that I was doing well. And so luckily that's not like a barrier that I personally like um, had to face, but I did like see it um, sometimes in my classmates, like growing like schools in India, I when we were just like in 10th grade I knew like some people were talking about how like in a couple years like their parents wanted them to get married and I was like you're only going to be like 20 that's so young (laughs) so I knew it existed around me but I just was um lucky that my mom paved that way 
definitely. So when you went back to India for that first time, I think it was you said when you were ten, right? Six grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how did you adapt to the Indian school system? I know it's very it's a stronger school system than the American school system. Do you feel like behind, or were you always the smartest girl in the smartest person in the room? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I was definitely it was different. So it was a little harder, but mostly it was different. Like the way that things were taught, the way questions were asked, the things they focused on and emphasized. Um, Because there's like no multiple choice questions there like that. That does not exist. So it's like all free response and essays. Um, And so that definitely took like some getting used to. I think like I had subjects where I did well, like particularly well, like I was really good at English. I think it helped that my mom was a journalist. Um, But then there were classes where I still wasn't like the best. Like I would try to do well, but I knew I wasn't like the best in the class, Um, especially like the languages, like the Indian languages. I definitely struggled a lot. Um, Learning two brand new languages was hard. Um, But yeah. Definitely. I definitely share the same feeling because I came I came uh, from the from Guinea to the U.S. around the age of uh, 13. So very young. And uh, I feel like having the background that I learned in Guinea, learning the culture and having the discipline that my parents gave me there before I came to the U.S. and also the school system, the education definitely gave me some kind of sense of push of wanting to to, to be my best. And uh, I think they, they prepared me to, to learn what I needed to learn the language here and, and uh, be able to succeed in my classes. Yeah. And I think you're definitely right. Like school there is a little bit harder because I noticed that more when I came here to high school and I was like, oh, this is not that bad. Because <laughs> I feel like everyone would say AP classes are so hard and I had like my school, my high school counselor try to tell me you shouldn't take that many AP classes in your first semester here. And I was like, I'm sure it'll be okay. And it was like, that was like the same rigor that was considered normal in India. So I think that definitely existed. Um, It was harder to see in like fourth or fifth grade, but yeah. That's amazing. So you decided to go to UT for neuroscience. When did neuroscience came in the picture? Like, is it from your parents? Uh, I didn't ask what your parents did, but where, where did you decide that neuroscience is it? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I reflected a lot on this last year when doing my med school apps, um, but neither of my parents are related to healthcare. Most, I don't know anyone in my family who is like immediate. There's like some distant um, aunts who are, but no one that I knew personally growing up was in healthcare. Um, my mom, like I said, was a journalist. My dad was like a software consultant person. <laughs> I still don't fully know what that means. But yeah, so I, it was more just like in high school. So I always liked science. I always liked biology. I thought biology was cool. Um, and then in high school, I took like a psychology class and I thought that was really cool too. So I was like, maybe the brain is the coolest organ. Um, and then in high school, in 12th grade, Um, I took this class that was called independent student mentorship, something like that, that my class, my school offered, um, where they basically just encourage you to find a mentor in the community um, and work with them for like a full year, understand what they do, 
and then like make a final research project out of it, which was a lot for like a high schooler right? thinking back. Um, but it was really helpful. Um, I found a neuropsychologist to work with, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Like I never had an idea, but I was just like, okay, psychology is cool. And I like science. So I was like, let's explore. Um, and that was really cool. So the woman I worked with, she um, worked with kids who had autism or just behavioral or developmental disorders in general. Um, and so that was really interesting to me, uh, just seeing how she worked with the kids to figure out what they struggled with and how to help them through it and how to teach the, the parents also um, to help them develop those skills like throughout. And so that was really interesting. And so when choosing a major for college, I was like, this is the only remotely thing, remote thing like I'm interested in. So I'm just going to go with that and change majors if I need to. Um, but I ended up really liking it and I stuck with it and it wow. turned out great. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, I'm beginning to realize that the brain is definitely, I mean, we always know this, but the more you learn about it, the more like, wow, the brain not only houses muscles that are important, but it also houses your emotions, your memory. Uh, it, it is complex. And what, what I, I heard that we even have not touched like, 70% of, of knowing what exactly the brain do, which is very fascinating. Yeah, there's definitely a lot we don't understand how it works. We just know, yeah, yeah. this region of the brain is responsible for that, but we don't know or how. So. That's crazy. And it's very hard because the experiments usually are done by calling piece of the thing and see what happened and cutting, but you can't cut someone's brain and, and stuff like that. So yeah. I feel like it's going to be a long time before we learn more about it. So you did. Yeah, but did there's definitely been developments. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I just said, but there has been a lot of developments. They found ways around just cutting people um, or even just uh, researching on people who had that cut in like mm -hmm. an accident or had a seizure that damaged it. So we've still made a lot of progress. Definitely. This is a question that, I mean, I never had someone in medical school uh, in the podcast before, but this is a question that I just thought about. You did anatomy already, right? I'm in the process of writing that right now. I'm in anatomy. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what's your favorite part of the body? But it was you, definitely you, the brain. <laughs> it was the brain. Like, I... Yeah, I realized I have a lot of little things in my life that have pointed me towards neuroscience and they continue to point me there. Like we just had an anatomy exam two weeks ago and that one was about the head and the neck and the heart. Um, so it was like, you know, like the upper half um, of your body. Yeah. But so we learned all about like the cranial nerves, like how your brain controls things. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And we also have anatomy lab where we, you know, dissect cadavers um so I got to hold a brain in my hand and I was like wow this is so crazy wow. so cool um, that's amazing I'm very interested to see if you're gonna go psychiatrist or uh, neurologist or neurosurgery <laughs> away from psychiatry so I'm currently leaning more towards something within neurology um mostly because I feel like it's a little bit more of um 
like a mental challenge, I guess, like with diagnosing versus psychiatry is a lot more, I mean, it, it definitely is hard, but I think in a different way. Um, because I think with neurology, there's like a lot more research like opportunities and stuff like that, um, which really draws me in. Yeah, from what I understand, I may be wrong, but I think psychiatric also is more like uh, listening. You have to have a lot of good listening skills and you have to talk to your, you have to listen to your patients, have someone else in the room basically to figure things out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of that and um, just trying to understand where their emotional and mental problems are coming from, trying to figure out the best course of action, what medications could help, what might not help. Yeah, there's a lot of that, but um, we actually had to take a, a, a personality quiz during the first week of orientation where they try to tell you what your top specialties would be. So my top one was actually psychiatry, um, but, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure the reason they said that was because in the form I said, yes, like I would like to have a bond with my patients and make sure I talk to them about how they're feeling. Yeah. But to me, you should be doing that in like every single field, you know, like that's not yeah. specific just in psychiatry. So this is my issue with sometimes the way the medical system is set up is like thinking that only psychiatry is the one where you talk about emotions and like making sure the patient's okay. And everything else is like more straightforward. You just diagnose, give the medicine and like send them on their way. Like, no, you should ideally be emotionally connected to your audience, regardless of what specialty. Yeah. In my mind also people who are introvert and who don't like talking a lot, I feel like they are better listeners. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, many, I, I think I read this from a book, but a psychiatrist was saying that, because there was this uh, intern who thought that psychiatry was about talking to the patient, right? And trying to, but the, the attending was like, no, it's more about listening. Like, because if you talk, you don't get. And I feel like people who are more introvert like to listen to patients. They have better emotional intelligence and they'll give the patient enough space to talk enough where it's easier to, to really figure out what's going on with them. Yeah. Not not totally. that I'm, I'm not saying that the test is right, but <laughs> that's why. No, I no, I no, I have gotten that before. Like most personality tests, they like I have good emotional intelligence. That's like one of my strengths. So no, I agree. I think it's there's a correlation. Yeah. How did you uh, build your community uh, at UT? Yeah. Coming in and. Uh, I know with your with your uh, major is definitely a very hard major, and uh, how did you build your community to make sure that the vastness of UT doesn't really affect you? Because we have fifty thousand people on campus. Um, that was definitely one of the things I was scared about coming into UT. I was very overwhelmed with, with its size. Um, I almost didn't go to Camp Texas the morning of because I was like, "This is too many people already." I <laughs> don't want to intimidated by that um but no I like the first week of class one of the first organizations I joined was ballroom dancing um Mm. and I actually joined that with Alicia you know like one of the girls in our Cam Texas group and so we both went to that and I immediately fell in love with it and I stuck with that and actually a lot of my other close friends from UT are from that org like we all started there and then we we all eventually left the org, but we stayed really good friends um, and just had like dance to bring us together. And then within neuroscience, um, 
there were just like a couple of people I'm not sure I think it's because we were both like student class discussion facilitators at some point um, that I became friends with some of the other facilitators and we became friends that way and we just realized we always are in the same classes Um, and so they're really good friends too so I had like that balance of like the friends who were through who I found through my classes um, and friends who were completely unrelated to my major so I wasn't thinking about my school major all the all time, the time. <laughs> yeah that's important no that's important definitely and I know as a pre-med student you are pre-med students are busy they always have something to do to get ready for that application three years later and uh, but you definitely managed to do things that you are passionate about I noticed from LinkedIn that you did a lot of teaching uh, you were you you tell for a non-profit, you tell a little bit for Kaplan. Seems like you are very passionate about uh, teaching, which I think is the one of the most amazing skills uh, people can have. So where did that passion was, come from? I think it's so funny you looked at my LinkedIn. I don't use LinkedIn. I can't remember the last time I updated it. But um, yeah, no, I do really like teaching. I found it by accident. I think so in my family, I was like the older cousin, like most of my cousins were younger than me. And so even though I didn't have siblings, they were like my proxy siblings when I lived in India. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I always enjoyed, you know, like leading them, like showing them things and teaching them stuff. Um, but in college, I randomly applied to be an SAT tutor with Kaplan. Um, I think this is because I saw like a YouTube video of some guy who ended up going to like Yale Medical School and he was like he started out as like a tutor as an SAT tutor and I was like oh I'll try that out I think I think I would like that um actually before that I think I was a teaching assistant on campus for dance maybe that was the first one they both kind of happened at the same time so one of them inspired the other um and then from the SAT teaching I realized I just really liked that like formal like tutoring really loved it and so I went on to do um this nonprofit over the summer where they were trying to increase the number of first generation college graduates so they started young and they um you know gathered like sixth and seventh graders onwards um for like a summer program to kind of just keep their interest in academics from like a young age and make them feel supported and kind of just show them that it is possible for you to go to college. So that organization was called Breakthrough. Um, And kind of last minute, I applied to be a teacher because my original plans fell through. Um, And this was after I graduated, actually. So it was summer 2019, right after graduation. Um, And that was one of like the best summers um, ever. I taught like math to seventh graders and um, it was the most intense intense teaching experience I had because I kind of had to come up with my own curriculum to teach them and like keep them engaged but also just you know reassure them like I know it's hard but you can do it Um, it was so so rewarding though because I had like students at the end come up to be in like I didn't think you know I wanted to stay in school because these were like kids who were doing well but they didn't necessarily have further dreams because I don't know, they, they weren't brought in that environment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just so rewarding for them to be like, yeah, like I definitely consider college to be more of a possibility just because 
you know, you told me I could do it and like, here's how I can do it. And you helped me believe in myself. And I was like, wow, this is so great. Like, I love that feeling of being able to um, help others that way. And so then I was an MCAT tutor for a year in my, one of my gap years. Um, and that experience continued. So yeah, I do definitely really like teaching. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And, I, I mean, that's one among of so many things that you do uh, as a pre-med student. And many people do not, many people know that pre-med have to re- have it tough, right? But I feel like we do not have a lot of uh, exposure to the journey that pre-med. I think Netflix should come up with a show where it's only pre-med <laughs> life and stuff like that. But uh, like, talk about that journey a little bit. Were there any time you felt like uh, maybe you should stop this? You should find something else because of how hard it was. What was that journey like for you? So for me, I actually didn't decide fully to commit myself to the pre-med journey until junior year of college. Because I, yeah, I started college like as a pre-med, but that was more just like as a backup Mm -hmm. in case I wanted to do it not because I actually knew I wanted to do it yet. So um, also because I was already a science major, like I took like an extra two classes. It wasn't that hard. Um, So I just had that, but I didn't fully commit myself because I didn't like that idea of, you know, like I have to do all this shadowing. I have to do all this volunteering. Like I didn't like that idea of being told what I needed to do because I realize I want to just do things that I'm interested in, like dance and like teaching um, that aren't like typical pre-med requirements. And I also just wasn't fully certain that I liked the life of a doctor. I just wasn't certain about that yet. I didn't know that I wanted to do that until junior year. And that's when I like had my first shadowing experience. Um, I think like my mom's cousin's wife lives in Ohio and she's, um, a physician and so she was able to get me my first shadowing um and that's when I was kind of like okay I really like this I shadowed a neurologist so it's I really liked it um and so after that I was like okay I guess I'll join a pre-med org to figure out what this process is supposed to be like um but I was definitely very like annoyed by the process the whole time like I didn't like that it felt like you know you have all that requirements to fill Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was definitely frustrating, but I think for me, I just realized that there wasn't any other career I could really imagine myself doing where I could have my love of science, but also loving people, but also be continuously growing and having that mental challenge. So I don't know, I realized like pre-med is like, is the only thing I want to do. So I just have to fully commit to it. Um, and I think it was hard just not having direct people I knew that went through it before or like having any family members to tell me what it was like um so just having to seek out like you know that guidance yourself was probably like the hardest part um but I had that pre-med org to kind of help me a little bit so it's okay no definitely I I I can definitely agree I think exposure is definitely Exposure is the biggest uh, key to the door of imagination. And I feel like without imagination, there's no way you can, it's hard to succeed without imagination because you have to see what you're trying to get at before you get at, right? You have to get your brain thinking that way. And many people uh, do not have the opportunity to 
to imagine because of the lack of exposure. Uh, many people in underserved communities in the inner cities do not have, are not exposed to the different things that they can do. So it's very hard for them to think of a life better than what they have. So I can definitely yeah. imagine what you said in terms of not having somebody there who can tell you about what the journey looked like and stuff like that. So fast forward, like way later, you ended up, you went to, you are going to Southwestern uh, Medical School, UT Southwestern, one of the best schools in the nation and definitely top school in Texas. Uh, I can definitely sense that you are very passionate about research, but what, what, what are all the things that really motivated you to choose Southwestern? And what are the other options, by the way? So I actually wasn't as, interested in research before. Um, it was one of the things where I felt like I didn't have any research experience and every you know med student who's accepted generally has some experience. Um, and so I got lucky last year where a friend who worked in a lab was able to like refer me for that same position because she was leaving. Um, and I got that research position with a neurosurgeon. Like I was a clinical wow. research assistant working under a neurosurgeon. Um, and so that kind of exposed me a little bit to like kind of cleared misconceptions of what I thought research was. Um, because for her, I was basically helping her to um, categorize all her patient information and then look for any trends that might have caused the brain tumors that they had. Um, and so that I like, I, I don't know, I didn't think of that as necessarily research because in my mind, it was just like, you know, wet lab, right? With like pipettes and yeah. stuff, which I didn't like. So this was a different kind of research that I realized was more directly relevant to, you know, what I'd want to do in the future. And so that's kind of where that interest started. And I do think like just having that experience was one of the reasons I got accepted to Southwestern because they are like known for like having a lot of research. Mm -hmm. um moving so I that's not necessarily what drew me to Southwestern like it wasn't necessarily just the research it was mm -hmm. um just the community atmosphere I think from my interview experiences like that was my favorite um interview um mm -hmm. just the way they seemed to really care about the students and every student I talked to was like driven motivated but, but still not always stressed out you know like they found a balance between being happy and being career focused, which was really important to me. And so I think that was like the biggest thing that drew me to Southwestern. That's amazing. That's amazing. I actually had another podcast guest. Uh, he's uh, from my home country. I don't know if you, he's a PhD, MD, PhD from Southwestern in neurology, actually. I, I mean, he's still in medical school, but he's interested in neurology. His name is uh, Umaru. Okay, I, I noticed him on your podcast. I briefly listened to it before today. But yeah, okay. yeah. I have to reach out to him next. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you, you are in medical school. This is your first year, right? And mm -hmm. uh, many times people say that medical school is like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> so talk about that a little bit like oh, what's that my gosh. everyone says that I've heard that so many times even during orientation but you always are like oh it's fine you know I'm like I'm like pretty good at studies like I've made it this far like you know 
I did pretty well in undergrad. I'm sure it'll be fine. Mm. No, false. It's nothing like you've ever imagined. It's nothing like your hardest undergrad class. No, not remotely. It's insane. Like how much information is like thrown at you so fast. Like, I don't know, like I've had so many friends who started medical school before me and like, they try to tell me about it, but it's not something you can comprehend until you experience it. So I was definitely like caught off guard, even, you know, despite having heard about it, you know, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing that kept me going, there were like a couple of things. One is sometimes when I'd go to lecture, so all of our lectures at Southwestern are usually um, PhDs and we have like a different lecture every time based on what their like expertise is. Um, and some of them apparently have been like Nobel Prize winners and just like crazy smart, crazy accomplished. And so I would just have like these moments of like gratitude randomly where it's like, wow, like this insanely smart person is taking time out to like, you know, come teach us um, n- not like not knowledgeable first years. Like we don't know anything. Wow. And they're, you know, taking time out of the day to like teach us. So that was just like a grounding moment where it was like yes it's a lot but I'm still grateful to have that chance like to be there um and also just like reassuring myself that like everyone at Southwestern has like made it through these few months right like they all ended up making it to second year third year fourth year like they all made it through and so yes it's it's a lot but like I just need to stay afloat. I don't need to be swimming, (laughs) thriving. You just got to stay afloat for now. Just don't Um, die. (laughs) And then you can thrive later. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, do you ever, do you ever, anytime, do you ever imagine like, oh, these people, these smart people, near Nobel Prize who's teaching us, they used to be us and maybe one day we'll be like them. Like I'll be this person. Do you think about that? That's so true too. Yeah, that's like definitely a good point, especially because I do think I want to do like academic medicine, like be associated with the medical school. So yeah, that's a possibility for sure. Another motivating thought. (laughs) So this is not a question. This is a question that you may have had uh, during the interview trail, but this is more like definitely you don't have to think too hard on this, but what are what's your vision in terms of as a physician when you become uh, in the next let's, I'm gonna say 20 years because after you you need nine years to be an attending and then 10 years to really yeah. get on your feet so what, what's your vision what are some of your passions that you that you that keeps keeps you awake at night that you really want to attend to but you're trying to get this degree and eventually you'll get there so that's hard because I feel like I have a lot of them and so it's hard to focus Which is on okay. yeah. how to tie them together or like you know how to accomplish all of them so one thing is definitely um so I am interested in neurology but a big part is I definitely want to be a physician that works closely with the community to give back um so working with breakthrough was part of that but just in general you know being more aware of like all the inequities you know that exist in society um Mm -hmm. and so educational inequities is one of them right but also just health inequities and so somehow I want to be able to um 
work with communities to kind of decrease that inequity a little bit. So I know in the past, you also actually talked to Dr. Brandon Alport on your podcast. And I've yeah. actually worked with him at UT. Well, not for very long, but like I, I've like met with him a few times because I really liked what he was doing. Like he was um, kind of trying to come up with ways to have integrated health centers within communities where you focus on the issues that are specifically faced there. So you have like one center, but you have like social workers, primary care physicians, um, you know, mental health specialists all in that one place that provide specific care like to the needs of that community. So I really like that idea. Um, And I wanna do something along those lines, right? So like some kind of research to figure out how to make that more sustainable, more scalable. Um, Not sure how that fits with neurology because that's a little bit more, um specialized and isn't necessarily as associated with stuff like this right it's mostly like primary care physicians or internal medicine um people who do the thing so that's like one thing I do want to do and then another is I I'm also really interested in health policy so I'm actually doing the MD MPH program here so I'm also getting a master's of public health wow. because at some point in the future I do want to work in health policy because I feel like that's the only way you're going to actually make large scale changes um, and improvements in our healthcare system. So I think those are two big goals, along with some kind of neuro like practice of my own. That's but at the same time, when it comes to the neuro practice, like I don't want to have a private practice. I know that for sure. I think I'd work um, at a teaching hospital. So at some point, like teaching will be part of that as well. So a lot of a lot of goals <laughs> so exciting so exciting and i really uh, like what you talk about the healthcare uh, just being healthcare policy and uh, other healthcare uh, specific healthcare uh, kind of changes right and i feel like many organizations many hospitals many schools have done a lot to try to to redefine what healthcare mean in their community i think one of the Dell Medical School, one of the mission definitely is that how can we make healthcare work for the community and figure out a way to scale that uh, in Texas yeah. and eventually in the world. So I feel like that world is definitely coming in the near future. And uh, it's, it's amazing to see so many young people thinking in that direction, I feel like. Yeah, thanks. That's definitely, definitely a goal. Yeah. So... A, what would you tell a young lady who's who's listening to you right now, your story, in terms of somebody who want to go to uh, medical school and be a physician? Like, what would you say is some of the biggest characteristics that got you where you are today? That's crazy. It's crazy to feel like I'm in that position to give advice when, you know, like so recently I was the one listening to that advice. So that was a crazy moment right there. Um, but I think you definitely should still do things that you're interested in. Like, I remember hearing that advice and was like, that's so cliche. Like, I don't have time to do things I'm interested in because I'm too busy filling out the pre-med like checklist of things, you know? Um, but I think now I kind of realized like the importance of why that checklist exists. So yes, they say like you need shadowing because, how else will you fully know that you want this life? And, you know, they say they want volunteering because 
They just want to see your commitment to like this field um, and stuff like that. But I think like my misconceptions were that um, like I needed like a lot of shouting hours. I needed like an insane number of community hours, like, and that they all had to be like, all had to be healthcare related. Um, where in fact, that's not necessarily true. So I think in general, they just want to see that you have a desire to serve others because ultimately that's the core value of, you know, being a physician is being willing to serve others. So, so you can definitely, you know, like fulfill those like checklist items while doing things you're more interested in. So like a lot of my volunteering hours were like the teaching, um, and stuff like that. So, so don't necessarily like limit yourself to what you think or what other people tell you is like the right volunteering to do or whatever. So do what you're interested in um, while still fulfilling those requirements for your application. But at the same time, I don't know, I think it's really important to not be too hard on yourself. Um, it, like it's really easy to get caught up in a competition of like comparing yourself to other people, especially in pre-med, right? Like everyone is trying to be the best. And so you see like all these people achieving crazy things and it makes you insecure that you're not doing that. Um, that's definitely something I've like seen a lot. And I don't know, like other people tell me like, I would never have guessed that because I feel like you do a lot too. And so I have to take a step back and be like, wait, you are right. Like, I guess I do do a lot, but it's easy to like forget that um, because you're thinking about like all the things that other people are doing. So I think that would be like the number one, like mindset thing to keep in mind is try not to fall into that trap of comparison and just constantly like, you know, appreciate what you're doing and just focusing Definitely. on that. Focus on your journey, run your own race, and don't try to get in the competition of society, basically. Try to be the best yeah. self that you can be. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, this was amazing. Uh, Rishi, thank you so much for the time. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, for sure. It was so great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for the time and uh, good luck to you. And I'm sure we'll, we'll stay in contact. Uh, I'll definitely uh, keep you updated on the podcast, but let's definitely stay in contact. I know we there's definitely, I'm sure our path gonna cross in different things, but also, <laughs> also uh, as friends, I think you are a great yeah. human being and I'm rooting for you. So keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, you too, Amadou. Um, but yeah, I'm sure our paths will cross again. But yeah, we should definitely keep in touch. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one. Before you leave, make sure to subscribe for more.